Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, our weekly look at the world of zoos, conservation, all that good animal stuff, and the news going on in it. Which I guess you could have figured out from, you know, the name. Zoo News? Yeah. Anyway, I'm excited to have y'all here, and um, if it's your first time here, uh, or if it's not and you just need a reminder, um, this is a crowdsourced Zoo News report, and uh, you can help by submitting any zoo or conservation or animal stories you see to me. You can email them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. You can tag me in them or DM them to me on social media, at rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at rossafaripod on TikTok. And, you know, give those a like and follow if you haven't yet. Um, Or you could just um, show up outside my house holding printed out versions of them awkwardly but that's bad for trees and might scare me so maybe maybe don't do that one and as far as my life there's not much to report this week um playing the show hung out with miles gonna do that again soon you know living my life and doing podcasts for y'all just uh did my first interview uh that will be released in 2022 so that's exciting um so yeah we're moving forward and and that's that's really it it's been a chill week which was needed after the craziness of last week as you'll remember from the top of the show so a little less loopy as i record this episode sorry to my fans who like me being goofy well i'm always goofy but giddy and slightly insane um but yeah life is good things are well and uh that's really all i have to say about that so uh here's an ad today's episode is brought to you by daydreamers studios do you have stories and expertise to share with the world have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts there's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. And now we'll get into... Zoo News. One, two, three, four. Ow, oh, there's a funky monkey. Tree kangaroo. Or a bint around. It's Zoo News. Yeah. All right, so we're going to start off this segment by me telling you about a little adventure I had recently at, well, Adventure Aquarium. Adventure Aquarium is the 
AZA accredited aquarium in Camden, New Jersey, and it is on the other side of the river from Philadelphia, but it is considered the the Philly Aquarium as well as the Camden Aquarium. A lot of their merch is, is Philly-based. They're just across a little body of water, and you have to take a bridge to get there is all. Um, I love Adventure Aquarium. I am a member there, and I, I think they do amazing work, and there are amazing people there. Um, and they, they announced recently that they were going to close at 5 one evening and then reopen from 5.30 to 7.30 for a sensory-friendly evening. The idea was that keeper chats would not be mic'd. They would just be people talking calmly, that the loud music that plays throughout the aquarium would be silenced, and that all of the dark areas of the aquarium would just have, like, normal lighting up, you know, like fluorescent lights. Um, and this would be a opportunity for people who who need a more sensory friendly experience to be able to experience the aquarium. And I, I have to admit, I wasn't entirely sure based on how things were written if it was only for people that needed that experience or if this was a open to the public type thing that also would have the elements meant to give a sensory friendly experience. So I decided to go. And check it out. And, um, you know, if they, they didn't want me there or if I wasn't supposed to be there, I, w- I would have happily left. But um, turns out it was open to the public. And uh, I got to go hang out at the aquarium at night with the lights on. And to be perfectly honest, um, a lot of people I don't think really knew about it or understood that maybe it was something that we could all go to. Um I think I saw three total families there while I was there, and there were there were probably more, but um, I, I don't think that enough people took advantage of this amazing opportunity because I got to tell y'all, it was really cool. It was beautifully done. Um, I loved the the effort that went into it to to help out anyone who needed a, a sensory friendly environment. Um, and, and there was so much staff there and there were so many people ready to assist if, if, you know, anyone needed assists or to share information about animals. Um, and you know, I've seen some zoos starting to do this and some aquariums starting to do this. It was the first time I've gotten to check it out. And man, I, I can't recommend highly enough that facilities do this. Not only was it cool to experience the aquarium, in a more relaxed light, but also the families that I did see, um, many had children who were acting out and making loud noises and stuff. And I've seen that from time to time, zoos and aquariums, and it's not something I experienced, so I can't speak to it directly. But when I see it, it often seems like the parents are a little overwhelmed or embarrassed or, you know, concerned that somebody's going to call them out or whatever. And in all cases, when I saw the families at the aquarium that night and and the kids were acting out, the parents seemed at ease. They seemed relaxed. They seemed able to feel safe. And it was really awesome seeing that. On a side note, um, that evening, they had a ton of staff on. My guess is they thought that more people would take advantage of this than did. And uh, because there were so many staff just kind of standing around, one of the penguin keepers went and got out Cassie. Cassie is one of their black-footed penguins and is an ambassador animal at the aquarium. And uh, they just brought Cassie out to get some attention. Honestly, 
from what I heard, the, the staff saying, I don't even think it was planned. They just brought her out to hang out with staff members and anybody who happened to walk by. And I happened to walk by. And Cassie is this amazing penguin that loves to chase shadows and is very playful. And um, I really loved the entire time hanging out with Cassie. I think I spent about 25 minutes with Cassie and the various staff members. And it was truly magical. Uh, I was playing with Cassie. She was chasing my shadows. At one point, she literally looked up and realized that my hand was making the shadow and went after my hand instead, which was adorable and hilarious. Um, And I have to share this story. This was one of those things that I really wish I had on video. But when I first sat down, Cassie literally knew every single person in the, the circle except for me. So as you can imagine, she was running around and interacting with the different keepers and would look at me occasionally, but was was staying away. And so at one point she stopped and was just staring at me from a distance. And I went, hi, Cassie. I know you don't know me, but I already love you. And you know that you can trust me because I'm a supporter of Penguins International. And look, I am sure that it was because of the voice that I used or the fact that she felt safe with all her keepers there. But when I said that, Cassie got penguin zoomies, which involve bending over slightly, running fast and flapping her wings really hard and ran right to me. And that's when she started to play with me. Uh, I loved it so much. I wish I had video to send to Penguins International and to Katie Prop because it was amazing. But um, yeah, it just it made my heart so happy. And and Cassie the Penguin at Adventure Aquarium is incredible. And I'm really impressed that Adventure Aquarium decided to consider the need to provide sensory-friendly experiences for people. Um, it was very cool, and I hope that more facilities follow suit. The three Bornean orangutans at the Columbus Zoo are going to be getting a new enrichment item soon. The Columbus Zoo has partnered with Wild Think Enrichment to provide the orangutans there with an animal vending machine. Now, this isn't a vending machine where you can pop in a dollar and get yourself a new animal. Sorry, friends. But it is a device that is an automated search and find game for animals. Animals must search their environment for hidden tokens and bring them back to the vending machine, put the tokens in, and just like a human vending machine, Get a food reward. Um, It is a battery-powered machine that accepts these tokens in exchange for a small amount of food. And it works with things like dried fruits, nuts, cereals, and grains. And by encouraging the animals to search for the tokens, it is emulating a natural foraging behavior that we all know that orangutans and other great apes use to get most of their food. So this is a really cool, really new, technologically advanced way to encourage natural behaviors with orangutan enrichment. I cannot wait to see this in action at the Columbus Zoo. And speaking of animal enrichment items, if you would like to give a gift of enrichment to an animal that you love, you should see if your zoo is doing an angel tree or something similar. The Ross Park Zoo, Elmwood Park Zoo, and others have set up animal angel trees. Much like a normal angel tree in which you walk up to the tree and you look at the different angels that are stuck on it and you find a human child 
gross that you want to provide a gift for or something. In this case, you would walk up and you would look at the different enrichment needs that these facilities have for their animals and you could then purchase one and give it to the animals and um, kind of know what you're taking care of. You could get something for a red panda or for a hornbill or whatever. Red panda mostly. Um and so, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And I've seen uh, the Toronto Zoo is doing it as well uh, as Elmwood Park and Ross Park and probably other zoos that don't have park in their name. Um, so the best part of this is you don't even have to go to the zoo to do it in a lot of cases because like everything else in this world, it has gone digital. So basically what these zoos are doing is setting up Amazon wish lists. And the best ones, the ones that really, I think, are well done, will have a description of each item and what animal needs it. And then you can say, you know, if there are more than one animal that needs it, then you can say what animal you want it to go to. And boom, you are providing a gift that is actually needed to your favorite zoo animal. So if you are a fan of this idea and if you would like to give a gift to your favorite zoo animal, go and see if your zoo has a animal wish list. And if not, go and check out Elmwood Parks or Toronto or Ross Park or yeah, see, see if you can do this because you can give an enrichment item to an animal that you love. And I just makes me happy. A study done by the St. Louis Zoo in association with the Audubon Nature Institute has reported the discovery of cranial biofluorescence in Cuban false chameleons. This is really neat. Not entirely sure yet why they have this, but biofluorescence is the absorption and re-emission of light from living organisms. The, uh, the animals, in this case, will um, use proteins built into their skin that absorb energy from sunlight and then re-emit it as a different color. Uh, so that's really cool and unique. And there's been a lot of studies recently into uh, biofluorescence and bioillumination and all this stuff. And um, it's it's just this whole other world of animals that we're just starting to understand and realize is, is a much bigger thing than we ever realized before. So it's cool that Cuban false chameleons have this. And it'll be interesting to see further studies done to figure out why and how they use it and all that good kind of stuff. Also, while we are on the subject of the St. Louis Zoo, sadly, they announced that Enrique, who was a rockhopper penguin that lived at the zoo uh, and was at least 30 years old, they weren't entirely sure, um, has passed away. You may have heard of Enrique before on this very podcast because he is the penguin that started having arthritis issues in his feet last year. And so keepers had a pair of cushioned rubber boots made for him, which helped the problem and he was able to move around without issue. Enrique was humanely euthanized, not because of the arthritis, which the boots were working totally fine to help him with, but because of other age-related issues and decline in the quality of his life. At 30 years old, he was five years older than the median life expectancy of his type of penguin in captivity. So uh, he did quite well. And as I said, they're not entirely sure when he was born. So he may have even been a few years older than that. While Enrique and his boots will be missed, it is awesome to know that this technology now exists and that he was able to be a pioneer for his species and other arthritic penguins will be able to benefit from the knowledge gained by working with Enrique. Yay, St. Louis Zoo. I love it there. 
Our friends at the Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island, have selected Stacy Johnson to fill the role of executive director of the zoo. Johnson will be heading to Rhode Island from California, where he most recently served as San Diego Zoo Global's Director of Conservation Science Operations. Quote, My vision for the 21st Century Zoo is that it is a treasured community asset that offers wholesome, fun experiences and guides public opinion toward active coexistence with nature and natural processes, Johnson said. I love that quote so much. Along with working at SDZ Global, he was also the executive director of the Lehigh Valley Zoo and the CEO of the Living Desert Zoo and Garden, along with having 30 years of zookeeping experience. I think this is an awesome leadership choice for Roger Williams Park Zoo, and I cannot wait to see the conservation work that gets done with him and Lou Parati working together. This is going to be incredible, y'all. All right, so we started this segment talking about an inclusive opportunity at Adventure Aquarium, and we're going to end it by talking about an inclusive opportunity at the Cincinnati Zoo. Noah White is an Eagle Scout candidate who lives in the Cincinnati area and wants to do his Eagle Scout project at the Cincinnati Zoo. For those of you that don't know, to become an Eagle Scout through Boy Scouts of America, you have to do a project that helps the community. You have to write it up, get it approved, get the people that you're helping involved, and then actually lead this project with other scouts and additional volunteers uh, if needed. I am an Eagle Scout, and I say am because once you become an Eagle Scout, you stay an Eagle Scout for life. Otherwise, you have to say that you were a Boy Scout. But I am an Eagle Scout, and I can already hear my friends that listen to this podcast making fun of me for this. But it was a really cool experience, and I, I learned a lot. Um, and so for this Eagle Scout project, Noah White is raising funds to create eight new communication boards that will be used in the children's zoo at the Cincinnati Zoo. The signs will include picture exchange communication system graphics, American Sign Language, and different languages. And the idea is to use the signs to learn about different animals and items in the children's zoo. Picture exchange communication system graphics are used by people who are unable to speak verbally to be able to point to what they are wanting to share with another person. Picture exchange is also really hard to say fast, and um, I struggled with that a bit. Just thought you'd all want to know. If you would like to help fund this project, go to Eagle Project colon Cincinnati Zoo on GoFundMe, and you'll be able to make a donation there. Any additional monies earned beyond the cost of the initial eight signs will be donated to the zoo and encouraged to be used to create more inclusive signage in other areas. And that brings us to... Since 2010, the Lester E. Fisher Center for the Study and Conservation of Apes at Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago has pioneered research on the effects that seeing inaccurate media portrayals of chimpanzees has on the public. The research has found, not surprisingly, that when people experience chimpanzees and other great apes, 
in non-natural settings, especially when they are shown wearing human clothing and stuff like that, that they are less likely to understand the true endangered status of these animals, which undermines conservation programs designed to help great apes. Interestingly enough, um, many media companies have realized this and stopped using apes in this regard. But one place where you can still regularly find chimps and other great apes in weird settings is greeting cards. I don't know why, but there is a huge trend of having like chimps dressed in tuxedos and stuff on greeting cards, which is why it is so exciting that the CVS Pharmacy brand has decided to stop selling any cards with this type of artwork on it. Rite Aid will also be following suit. Given that these are two huge national chains, hopefully grocery stores and Walgreens and Hallmark and other greeting card suppliers will come on board, eliminate these images, and help with great ape conservation instead of profiting from them looking stupid. Along with all individuals and groups being banned from releasing groups of balloons into the air, it is now illegal for persons 13 or older to actually even release one single balloon into the air intentionally. As you probably know, balloons float up and then pop and then drop down unexpectedly into places where animals live and they see these little flappy balloon things that no longer have air in them and they eat them and they die and they pollute the ground and the water and it's bad. So uh, this is really, really important. Um, great, great job, state of Maryland. God, it feels weird to be complimenting anything uh, government does right now, but yeah, I'll take it. And all right, it's time to go to Senior Australia Correspondent Ren Howell to tell us about some news happening down under so that I don't use my stupid Australian accent. That's really bad. Take it away, Ren. G'day, mates from the land down under. It's common knowledge that deadly and dangerous is a big talking point surrounding Australia, and our first story is no exception. The Australian Reptile Park on the New South Wales Central Coast has acquired what is said to be the largest funnel-web spider they have ever seen. Aptly named Mega Spider is twice as large as a regular female funnel-web spider, measuring in at 8 centimetres. For those of you not using the correct units of measurement, John, a little more than 3 inches, and possesses a potentially deadly bite with fangs strong enough to pierce a fingernail. Funnelweb spiders are one of only two arachnid species in Australia to have been responsible for human deaths. The Australian Reptile Park says that mega spider's fangs will be milked for venom as part of the zoo's ongoing anti-venom program. They are the country's only source of raw funnelweb venom. Since the Reptile Park began this program, officials say that anti-venom is estimated to have saved roughly 25,000 Australian lives and hundreds more each year. Mega Spider was anonymously donated to the park through one of their drop-off points found in the area. Keepers are seeking the donor of Mega Spider to step forward so that they can identify the exact location in which she was found to potentially find more large individuals that will be able to contribute to the anti-venom program. Holy crap, only in Australia would you have a huge spider that is super deadly um, that was donated anonymously. I do not understand this country slash continent at all, though I do agree with Ren that um, we should stop using stupid things like inches because metric is just better. Anyway, tell me another story, Ren. 
Now we're going to step away from the creepy crawlies. Our next story is a feel-good, fluffy conservation success story. Wild bilbies have been found in Karawinya National Park for the first time in 70 years. Bilbies are an endangered nocturnal marsupial that we like to call our native rabbit. Due to habitat destruction and feral predators, numbers have dwindled over the years. The Save the Bilby Fund has been working hard, breeding bilbies in captivity and releasing them into a 25-kilometre square fenced enclosure in Karawinya. This enclosure has been free of feral cats since 2018 and in 2019 they released six captive bred bilbies into the fenced area. The population inside the fence has grown in three years since release, but no individuals have been sighted on the outside since the 1950s. That was until one night Kevin Bradley, the CEO of Save the Bilby Fund, saw a little animal hopping along the side of the road. It was a bilby outside the fence. After heading to the sky to look down from a helicopter, he then hit the ground where he observed used burrows, food scrapes and bilby scats. It was safe to say there were at least a couple. Following on from this, they were able to trap an active burrow and they were successful in catching a female bilby. They are able to take some samples to compare with those individuals on the inside. The Save the Bilby Fund has been working towards re-establishing a wild bilby population in Karawinya, outside of the confines of the fence, but it seems that the bilbies on the inside wanted to speed that up a little. Now the real work starts, trying to keep those animals surviving in the wild and thriving in the wild. That's enough from me and your Aussie friends. Let's get back to you, John. Thank you, Ren Howell, the zoo copper. And hey, Jin, I heard you making your noise in the background. I know that you like being on the podcast, too. Jindy the Wonder Dog, y'all. Thanks, Ren. I appreciate you both being on this podcast. And that brings us to... In other As a quick note, I find that oftentimes people send me a ton of stories that would fit into the other news category, and they're all really interesting. But I record this podcast in order, and I know that when I ask people what your favorite segments are, y'all say zoo news or conservation news. So um, I keep all of those other news stories, and most of the time they're also not particularly time sensitive. So just so you know, I have them. Uh, the ones that I think are, are worth having on here anyway. And I will be sharing them, you know, down the road as time allows. But um, I, I just, just so you know, there's usually only going to be one or two other news stories because by the time we get here, I'm kind of running out of time. And I like to keep this a shorter podcast. That That's how that works. And um, right now I'm rambling instead of sharing one of those stories. So sorry about that. But I just wanted to let all of you know that do contribute these stories that I've got them and they're interesting and I find everything fascinating, whether it makes zoo news or not. Um, But yeah, sometimes I don't have a ton of time down here to tell stories. Although again, now I'm just talking. So Anyway, a new study has shown that light-colored feathers may help migrating birds stay cool on long flights. Roughly half of the world's bird species migrate, which actually I thought would have been more than that, but that's kind of fascinating to me. And um, a study done of nearly all bird species suggests that... 
Lighter colored feathers can be found on birds that migrate, especially ones that migrate long distances. It's known that color can help birds hide from predators by blending in or even attract mates by standing out, but color has subtler effects too, including regulating temperature by absorbing or reflecting light. Over 10,500 bird species were studied, ranking plumage lightness for each species and comparing that with how far the birds fly. On average, lightness slightly increased with migratory distance, the team found. The longest distance migrators were about 4% lighter than non-migrators, an effect that wasn't explained by size, climate, or habitat type for different species. This is just an awesome example of evolution, and uh, I think it's really cool that it was really consistent across so many species of birds. And speaking of birds... A mandarin duck has been spotted in Pennypack Park in Philadelphia. No one knows how this duck got there, though it is assumed that it was a pet or in some form of captivity and was either released or escaped there. But now bird watchers are all flocking <laughs> there to get pictures of the mandarin duck. Um, <laughs> you... <laughs> I actually saw a news report about this that said that if you get to Pennypack Park, you'll be able to know where the duck is because you will hear shutter noises from cameras, as a lot of bird watchers have gone to take pictures of the duck, and also a lot of people making noises like pss, 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 or pss, 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 or hey, come here, duck, come here, duck, as they try to get the duck closer to them to get better photos. <clears throat> we are the worst animal, y'all. However, the duck seems to be doing fine and thriving, and, and no one's, like I said, really sure how it got there or what will end up happening. But for now, there is just a mandarin duck living in Philly's Pennypack Park. Pennypack Park, Pennypack Park, Pennypack Park, that's fun to say. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, so this episode is dropping on Friday, December 10th, and we are still in Walrus Awareness Week for these next two days. Friendly reminder, I did re-release my episode with Erica Allen uh, talking about the walrus at the Indianapolis Zoo, and you can hear me meeting them and the vocalizations they make and all of that as a Rasafari revisited earlier this week. So if you haven't checked that out yet, check it out. And if you have checked it out uh, when it originally came out, go check it out again because Erica's awesome, walrus are amazing, and um, really there's just no reason not to. The funniest thing about Walrus Awareness Week for me, other than the fact that I have a hard time pronouncing it, although I'm doing really well right now, it's so much better, I haven't said Walness Awareness Week in quite a while, um, is that literally there are no animal days the entire week. It's like the walrus were like, yo, this is our week, y'all get out the way, and everybody did. But on Monday the 13th, we do celebrate National Day of the Horse, and then Tuesday the 14th is Monkey Day. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. Not a lot of not a lot of holidays in December. This segment keeps getting shorter and shorter until I ramble on and then it stays a nice consistent length. You're welcome. And there we have it, folks. Another week of Zoo News is done. Thank you to Kristen Khalil, Dylan Hoy, Anya Keen, and Colleen Lenahan for submitting things this week. I appreciate it so much. 
And don't forget that you too can hear your name here if you send me a story. Heck, I even say the names when I don't use them. So like, it doesn't even have to be a good story. Just send me stuff, y'all. I get lonely. No, I'm kidding. But also, thank you to Lara Shank, my Red Panda-level patron. And don't forget that you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash rossafari. Tiers start at just three bucks a month. And since I usually do at least one bonus episode every month, sometimes more, that means that you're only donating 33 cents per episode to help me make this podcast. So, hey, maybe gift yourself. The gift of supporting Ross Safari for the holidays. Or, you know, gift it to me. Gosh, that would have been a better way to say it. Oh, I'm such a nerd. Anyway, thank you all for being a part of this journey with me. I appreciate it. And remember, friends, Newsy Credits Backwards is Stiderk Yeswen. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Ross Safari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.